Happy 2018! It's going to be a big year in many ways, very likely especially for polling and pollsters, as this is a midterm election year, and it's the first election which every American will have a chance to vote since Donald Trump was elected president. Who knows how it's all going to shake out, but one thing we do know, polls will be watched and analyzed and argued over even more than they were in 2016. So as a public service, we here at the Marist Bowl have some pointers for pollsters and pundits and the public about how to deal with polls this year. Also, where we get our news and what that means for polling, plus new numbers on the NFL just in time for the playoffs. Whoa, busy day. Let's get started. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub, the first episode for the year 2018. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Merengoff, Director of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion here at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. We uh, have talked a lot on this podcast all last year uh, about polls and polling. That's what we're here for. But also about... Um, uh, the way that polls uh, took kind of a bad rap in 2016, national polls, uh, the way that people don't always know how to read polls correctly, the way that there are now actual fake polls, people doing polls that aren't polls, they're just putting numbers out and being picked up by the media. I, I think one of the things we kind of came to a conclusion about near the end of last year was everybody's a little bit to blame. You know, everybody should take stake in this. Everybody's a little bit to blame, but everybody can play a part in fixing this. And we thought it would be kind of a cool way to start off 2018 by talking about some solutions instead of just problems. So uh, let's do that. Okay. Well, I think, you know, we probably have a lengthy list, but we probably don't want to give everybody a three-credit course here in what to look for this year in polling. Well, if they pay us, I mean, <laughs> what do you think we could charge for I, that? Uh, not enough, apparently. And but also, anyway. as pollsters, I think we should have just a set number of possibilities here to choose from. That okay. would be that would be good um, survey um Etiquette. Protocol etiquette. Etiquette, yes. etiquette, yes. Okay, so, so now... top five. Okay, so let's... Well, first of all, we have talked in here about that not all polls are created equally. So one of the issues is, what's the method, and are some methods better than others? And we here at the Marist Poll encourage where possible for people to use live interviewers calling people on cell phones and on telephones. And that's number one. Number two, if I can just jump in and then I'll let you take, take it away, is distinguishing between polls and poll forecasters. Um, and that's where the problems in 2016 really, really came in when people were thinking that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Uh, because, because of that New York Times or the 538, they had those running Huffington, like, Huffington oh, Post. A, it's 902. She's got an 87% chance of winning. Yep. And, and Huffington Post and other forecasters did that based on polls to some degree, but their own secret sauce models. And that really created an expectation that the solid good polls didn't have. We knew it was getting close. Our numbers were showing that. So what's wrong with oh, that, but I think, But I think also there is a general perception that the polls did miss the point and did not provide a clear narrative for 2016. And there's uh, there's a lot of reasons for those perceptions. Um, you do point out, and we have discussed this issue of the forecasters. Um, and in a sense, that was just trying to aggregate or find a, find a way to summarize all the kind of 
junk that we hear in politics. And some of it is fake news and some of it is just not good polling. Um, But I think what we want to try here is to talk a little bit about what people can do to try to understand uh, polling better and to get a sense of whether they're they're being touted in the wrong direction. Okay, so we have two things already. We've got... Polls are created differently, and we need to distinguish well, between public polls and forecasts, which are slightly and significantly different. So let's take the first one. Let's let's take methodology, because I think methodology okay. is, is really a big deal, and it's really hard. We get down in the weeds, and sometimes we can't figure out, um, you know, what exactly a poll um, has done or people have done to come up with the numbers that they found. So some quickie things to look at is make sure that the methodology is there and you can find it. If you can't, move on, really discount it, because there should be no reason why someone who is putting out numbers doesn't tell you how they put them together. So this is under the big word transparency. So we have different methods. There can be online polls, you know, they've, they've had trouble. Um, they're not well tested. Science is tough. You know, we always talk about, um, you know, kind of the, you know, how, how rigorous science needs to be to actually come up with something that can be reliable and valid. Valid meaning it's actually measuring what it is we want to measure over time. So the online stuff is tough. If you, if you see or hear a methodology and you say, well, you know, they would have never been able to contact me in other words, they were trying to just talk to people on landlines, uh, and you own your cell phone only. Well, then there's something there's something missing in that poll. So there's there's lots of different methods online panel polls where they just grab a group of people and and ask them over and over and over again, and then the traditional telephone polls, which we know and love um, for starters. So that's a third thing is for people to not only make sure there is a methodology listed, and if there's not, you can just discount it, but also just do at least a cursory look at at, at the smell test. Does it pass the smell test in terms of it being uh, a methodology that makes sense? And it's partly, as we said, everybody's got to share a little the blame here, but part of it has to do with, you know, how's the media reacting to the, these polls? And maybe one of the things under this that the media needs to be concerned about, you know, have they ever heard of this pollster? Do they have a track record that's worth recognizing um, that they've been accurate in the past? Can you reach them on the phone? Yeah. Can you call them back and find somebody there who is willing to talk and provide the kinds of methodological transparency issues that uh, Barb was talking about. I think also we have to be concerned that in doing polls, and this is for pollsters and the media, I think is the notion of communicating the context, kicking the tires of a poll. Um, We talked about the presidential election in 2016. Well, a lot of the polls, when did they stop polling? If there was late movement, you have to indicate that these polls were conducted maybe 10 days before Election Day. That's maybe before the Comey letter and other things. Yeah, we know there that's was important. late movement, yeah. and that's a big deal in 2016. Is yep. Some polls, especially in some of those key states, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, yep. they stopped a week before. And mm-hmm. so how much relevance do they have and how much mm-hmm. weight should you give them when you're reporting on them or looking at them and trying to make sense of what's going on? And, mm-hmm. they're, not, and they're not done in a vacuum. So the campaigns are going to be trying to change minds and to... Uh, get their voters to the polls. So things are going to be happening. And so we shouldn't be projecting uh, something that was measured too 
three weeks out mm-hmm. to what's going to happen on it's election. It's not necessarily day. a prediction of what's going to happen. It's what things are. It's a portrait. Well, that's I mean, that's it's a portrait the, of where things are. That's kind of the overarching yes. one. Is we I think we've all got to get away from the idea that polls are going to predict what happens or are a prediction of what happens or a forecast of what happens instead of they are a snapshot in time of what people are thinking at that instant over the period. And that can change. People change. And so you can't say, well, this happened on Thursday. So on Monday, that's going to happen. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe not. Or Tuesday. Tuesday Tuesday would be election day. So unless there's early voting, but I think that you know, what you're talking about here is the ability to communicate both from the pollster and media standpoint, again, uncertainty. This is not an end of the story. It's an part of the ongoing narrative, and that's what we have to be sensitive to. And I think one of the things also, you know, in polls, and, and I think everybody's guilty of this, we look at the margins, how much is someone ahead or behind the horse race. Sometimes it may be helpful to look at trends. You know, is the race getting closer? Is, is this getting a wider race? And so we're not looking at the precision of decimal points. We're looking at to get a general narrative of where things are. I think that would be a better use of, of, of what some of these polls have been in the past than what we had uh, in, in the future, I should say, than what we've had in the past. And we're certainly going to be listing lots more things to look out for and pointing out a variety of problem polls and good polls as the year progresses. Yeah. And there's one thing I don't want to be talking about, and that's the doomsday scenario. You know, we just got through or in the process of evaluating, you know, were these elections in any way in 2016 contaminated? Were they rigged? Depending on who you're, you know, the words are, depending on whether you're Democrat or Republican. And And the question then becomes, are we going to get a good count of the election when it occurs in 2016? Are steps, I should say in 2018, are steps being taken to avoid whatever you think occurred in 2016 in terms of Russian interference or hacking of elections and the like? Are the polls, which are may look wrong, may they be actually right and correct but that some there was some hacking uh, contamination, some rigging going on to make the polls and the elections surprising in terms of the outcome. So that's my doomsday, dooms, uh, doomsbury, no, no, doomsday, no, doomsday, <laughs> doomsday <laughs> scenario. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, no, don't, let's not go down that road. No, that's a different thing yeah. entirely. But anyway, yeah. I hope we don't get there. But that's something we have to be watching for. Is there going to be a fix in for what happened in 2016? Apparently. This has been uh, the last year, two years really, have been uh, years that I think if you go forward far enough, it'll be remembered maybe as the Twitter years (laughs) because um, our president and lots of other uh, people have uh, turned Twitter into something that, while not the most popular social app, is certainly one that has um, gained a lot of the mind share. Uh, and part of that is because of who uses it and how they use it. Um, but it's really interesting. There are new uh, numbers in 2017. Pew looked at the numbers for 2017. I should mm-hmm. say new numbers. They look every year at social media usage. And in 2017, a trend that has been going on for some time continued and accelerated, which is the number of Americans who get uh, at least some of their news and the number of Americans who get most of their news, which mm-hmm. is a much smaller number, but it's accelerating quickly from social media. Facebook is is the, the biggest one. But Twitter had a huge jump from 59% um, of, of people saying they got um, some of their news from Twitter to 74%. Um, I, it, it doesn't surprise me, but at the surface, it worries me. Mm-hmm. If I think about Twitter as 140 or now 280 characters, how the heck can you get any news from there? Yeah. Yeah. But but well, maybe but, that's not how people but, are using well, it. Well, but 
With video and links, um, I think, um, I don't know. If you're restricted to that. Whether, well, but also, yeah. I mean, I think there is also a distinction between people um, who are just connecting, you know, with friends and family and seeing only the news that gets shared on their newsfeed by those individuals. I think what's different is that a lot of people right now are using those social media platforms to get their news. For instance, my Facebook newsfeed is pretty much um, from organizations, uh, news organizations that I follow and whom I'm interested in reading. And do you read just the headline or do you click through? Oh, no, I click through. Many of them also have video um, interviews. Um, they have their articles. And I think the one drawback and one of the things that I struggle with is that um, if I'm interested in a particular topic, I then continue to get more and more. The algorithms push more of those topics in front of me. So I feel like I make a very conscious effort uh, and struggle with this to look at look at and look for sources and to read articles that might not necessarily grab me initially yeah. so that I can continue to yeah. get a broad spectrum of opinions and also topics Although for news. Not, I don't know that most people are like that. I think isn't there? there's a lot of suggestion and evidence that people are self-selecting yeah. and they see only the news that's fit for them, yeah, we, we, <laughs> sorted we, by the algorithms. Well, yeah. I did a little experiment too. Mm -hmm. um, I, I put in... I put in, um, you know, just uh, you know, searches for uh, liberal news sources, um, actually uh, liberal economics. And what was interesting is I kind of got um, a, a mix of, of things from um, what I would think of as more um, left of center uh, news sources and also um, libertarian um, economic sources, both considered, you know, liberal in their in their own way, and then I put in conservative economics and conservative news. And what I really struggled with is there wasn't a lot that came up in the, my search. Um, I got. I got Fox News, a lot of Fox News, um, which made a lot of sense, um, but there wasn't a lot of variation. I actually had to to struggle a little bit and um, put in things like, you know, Daily Signal, uh, Heritage Foundation, National Review, um, you know, places that I know that are, um, you know, where I can get that type of opinion, um, but it wasn't read readily accessible when I tried to search. Now, that may be um, part because a lot of my, um, you know, a lot of the uh, things that I have on my newsfeed are technology, mm -hmm. um, um, science, um, polling, and those types of uh, topics. But um, and I don't know how that impacts upon the algorithm. Um, but that that was something that I noticed that it wasn't. Mm right there at hand. So there's a lot going on here that people may not be even aware of under the hood about how information is being channeled and funneled. And I know you've talked about that in our classes, Jay, uh, here at Marist. You know, I, I approach it somewhat differently, I think. Um, uh, I'm probably the most Luddite of the of the group here. You're the biggest tweeter here, though. Yeah, well, I've been, I've been schooled in that. But I think there's, a, you know, what we're seeing in all this is Two things, I think we're seeing the advance in technology, certainly. We have all these 
newfangled things uh, that are ways of communicating and people are using. And I think we have right now in our pol political world an engaged citizenry on both sides of the spectrum. And so I think that these numbers that you were started out with, and I think to, to some extent when Barb was talking about the, the, the channeling of opinion in different directions, really reflects people being connected and looking to be connected. And so we're seeing this, you know, boom, boomlet of, uh, of uh, numbers here in all these various ways of communicating. So what does that mean as pollsters um, to you guys? I mean, looking, looking at the big picture, does it mean anything? Does it change anything about the way you poll or the questions you ask or how you find people or what? Well, I think from a news uh, side of things, uh, we, we need to be where people are. So uh, we need to be talking to people on these social media platforms, and we need to be engaging them about polling on these platforms. Um, otherwise, um, you know, it's very easy to, you know, get, get drowned out. Uh, in terms of the polling itself and the methods themselves, we've actually done some experiments along those lines too. And although there are an awful lot of people on these platforms, at any one time, it doesn't necessarily translate into a representative sample of individuals uh, that we can base conclusions and draw conclusions on uh, whether it comes to our politics or other issues that we are talking about. So I think from a, from a certain standpoint, the same problems we have when you move away from landline cell to phone, phones, yeah. uh, to, to, to the it, it's the same problem we're having with, with, with these methodologies. But experiments are great. Let's understand that they are experiments at this point and no one's really come up with the uh, the silver bullet here to better explain uh, public opinion in an accurate way through these vehicles. Yeah, one of the things that fascinates me about the the, the rise of social media is that um, for basically all of polling history, uh, we've gone out and asked people what they thought. I mean, it's pretty simple. Let's mm -hmm. go ask them. They'll tell us. We'll figure out what people are thinking. And now people are telling us what they're thinking all the time, 24-7, uh, you know, in a huge stream of information on these social media platforms. But is it representative? Does it, is it, does it tell? Are they saying what they really feel? Can you, can you sort through that? Can you find it? It seems like, one, an amazing opportunity, and two, a Herculean task yeah. I think it, to, to get through that. I think it drives coverage, and certainly starting with the President of the United States and how we're all reacting to the way he sets the agenda of politics, true. But in terms of measuring that opinion in a, in a systematic, representative, scientific way, we're not there. No, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Um, and even taking a, a, a sense of what the intensity of it is, um, what the what the position is. It is not a reflection of what we are as Americans as a whole. Well, for New York Giant fans, uh, the football season has ended uh, a long time ago, uh, but yet we're at the time where football is attracting an awful lot of attention, as it has all the, you know, throughout the year with the controversies over the national anthem and the like. Uh, but we've done some work recently with HBO's Real Sports about the risks of long-term brain injury from playing professional football. And that's certainly been something in the news for quite some time. And we wanted to know where is the public on this? Where are football fans on this? And how is the media covering? So I think we found some really interesting things which were used on Real Sports and at their end of year uh, piece. And I think that... Uh, that, that would we be wanted... Brian Gumbel's show yeah, right Brian on Gumbel's. HBO. Yep, and, and I thought they did a wonderful job taking these 
poll data, taking this poll data and pro providing some um, context for it. Uh, but certainly, when you look at the numbers, the country as a whole is very divided on whether this issue is getting enough coverage or not enough coverage. Uh, most people don't think it's too much in terms of, of the attention, but uh, but people are divided, as are football fans, about the extent to which this is now an issue which has come to the fore. Um, but then I think the, the 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 other things I think are very important about whether they consider, you know, is it, you know, whose responsibility is this? And uh, and here I think you know we got a sense of, of a breakdown in the numbers a little bit in terms of. You know, where are people going? Well, I found it. I found it really interesting because um, I was. I think I was a little bit surprised in the fact that 59% of Americans, including six in ten football fans, felt that the responsibility um, for uh, you know concern over long-term brain injury from the sport really falls upon the NFL. Yeah, I was surprised by that. That and, was the biggest surprise. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that only, you know, just a little more than a third um, really feels that it's the responsibility of, of the players themselves, um, you know, to really look out for themselves and to, um, you know, to be able to um, deal deal with this issue. I mean, I, I think in a sense, um, the public is looking to issues of, you know, perhaps rules. Uh, the way the game is played, um, perhaps, you know, helmets and other different types of, um, um, you know, parts of the game. Um, and so they're really looking at the NFL here for leadership uh, rather than the players some, themselves. Some people have talked about this as, as kind of the existential risk to the NFL in that if you uh, really drill down here and say, well, this is killing players, basically, you've got to change the game in a way that doesn't do that, that you basically have to change the way in a way that kills the NFL. I mean, it kills football because it's a contact sport. No matter, you can put people in like, um, you know, suits that, that they bounce off each other and there's no injuries. It's not really going to be or, football or not, anymore. We're not going to make the NFL into flag football. <laughs> yeah, right. Or you go the other way where there's no contact um, at all. It, that's what was interesting to me. The other big piece that was interesting to me in this is, is did people think this was going to damage the NFL in the long run? Because there has been a lot of talk about that, and 48% uh, of Americans said they thought that the NFL needs to make changes to address address this, uh, but 46% believe no changes made. So mm. while they while they believe a, a pretty big majority believe that it's the NFL's responsibility, it's basically split 50-50 as to whether and, and anybody should fans, do anything about and it. And it's among, among fans, fans, too. Yeah. But I think what's driving those numbers is that Americans also, 62%, and, and here may be the, the rub in all this, say that the players are fully aware of the risk of the long-term brain injury. So it's not like they are not aware of what's been going on, but let us, in fairness, say to them, you're dealing with some people who are professional athletes. They're in their 20s. They're in the prime of their life. There's a lot of money to be made, a lot of prestige. They get you know a major following as a result of, of, of being able to play in the NFL. And, and they so, risk dying at 40. And, and so that becomes, well, you know, and, and how much of that onus of that are we going to put on a 24-year-old who's, you know, making more money in an afternoon than some of us might make in a, in a career? In a lifetime. So, yeah, yeah so, so, I, so I think that that has to be taken into consideration. I don't want to blame the players for willingly kind of 
right. getting these right. brain injuries because there is a temptation to this is what they do. But it's you career. know what? Most Americans certainly understand. Ninety three percent of Americans said that they really think it's sensible if athletes decide to pass up the sport of football and, and retire. So you well you, retire and also that they have you know many of them have an opportunity to actually play another game, and so I think that the choice of football um, maybe having you know uh, a different a different ending um, you know in the in the long term and uh, the, the future of the NFL you know may, may be in question um, as more of these issues come to uh, light. Yeah, we're talking about science and we're talking about research now and you know can improvements also be made which may alleviate some of these issues which are legitimate concerns yeah I'd be interested also I mean to, to look like five or ten years down the line look at the the proportion of kids in high school for instance mm-hmm. um, that are playing football as opposed to uh, football in other countries, soccer, yeah. or yes. or basketball or baseball, because those choices, parents have to help make those choices, and parents look at this, and maybe it's not the NFL players that that people are worried about. They're like you said, they're pros, they're making a lot of money, they're, they willingly know what they're doing. But if it's your if it's your kid, if it's your twelve year old, that's a, it's a whole different game. And mm-hmm. so it'd be really interesting to see. Maybe this isn't the existential threat to the NFL; it's the existential threat to football as America's favorite, um, you know, high school or, or, sure. or collegiate sport. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that I think we're going to take a look at in the future because I don't think this is an issue that's going away anytime soon. We've had other issues with football this year, and this is one that seems to be getting increasing attention, and we expect that to continue. We'll be looking at it. And that will do it for this edition of Poll Hub. Poll Hub is a production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. We want to thank our executive producer, Mary Griffith, who keeps us on time and on track. And certainly we are not an easy group to have her do either of those things. <laughs> um, and look, it's a new year, folks, and uh, with the new year comes new things on your mind, perhaps, and sending questions to us at Poll Hub at maris.edu is a place you can get us to talk about those things and also maybe even to poll on some of those things with the Maris Poll. We'd be happy to have your input into uh, what we're doing both on this program and in terms of how we measure public opinion and what we're measuring. And you can check us out on uh, social media wherever you are. We are at Maris Poll on Twitter, Maris Poll on Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram. And uh, there's a button where you're listening to this podcast on your device, and it says subscribe. Tap it, and also uh, favorite us if you can. Uh, rate us and uh, let folks know how much you like us or don't like us. I you thought know, you that's a, fair. That button you were referring to was different than the one that's been in the news lately. That, yeah, yeah. It's a big subscribe button for all of you. We know you have big subscribe buttons, so please use them and subscribe to Polo. See you next time. Happy 2018.